Welcome to Letters and Legends. I'm your host, Trevor Maloof. This show is about history, literature, mythology, and everything in between. In this episode, I spoke with Zeb Gerard about the Redwall series by Brian Jakes. Here's our discussion. Okay, great. We're going to have a nice conversation here with Zeb about Redwall. Uh, yes. Yes, Zeb, how are you doing? Uh, doing doing pretty great because we're going to talk about Redwall. Yes. Um, it's one of those one of those things that I've definitely talked about too much <laughs> with certain people, and I'm excited that you're excited to talk about it with me. I'm very excited because it's one of those things that I think people don't talk enough about children's literature, and there is that type of children's literature that's like the 20-page picture book, and then there's the type that's like teenagers learning about the world literature, which is almost like boxcar kids, I would put in that category. But not enough is given to this very strange fantasy type literature that's almost adult like. I was I was gonna say that I, um, I'm rereading Martin the Warrior right now, and some of my notes here it's somebody is threatening to chop off somebody's paws and make them eat them, <laughs> which is it's very Game of Thrones. Wow, like, ancient torture techniques. <laughs> I don't. I don't feel like eight-year-olds need to be exposed. To that. Oh my! It, and I what? Was, I didn't even think about it. Now, what is is that on um, Martin the Warrior? Yeah, that's a direct quote from from Martin the Warrior. Okay. Wow. Um, why don't we start with what I'm calling the who, what, where? How did you slash we di- di- discover? Redwall and some of the any kind of stories behind it. Yeah, I I think I stumbled into this the same way that I stumbled into a lot of things in my childhood, which is I'm the youngest of three, and I inherited this from my older brother Carl. So, um, you know, he had started the series. I don't remember why. I don't I don't think he had to read a book report on it, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, and so I think I think we were talking earlier. Um, you might've had to do this for school, but for me, it was just fun. Um, it was, it was something to read over a long weekend. Um, and I, I remember it being my first page turner. Like it's the first thing that I would read and I was just like, I got to get to the end. I really have to finish this. Um, you're mentioning boxcar children. I did not feel that way about boxcar children. Um, but that was probably the first, first books I read, like when I was, I don't know five or six years old um i have memories of reading boxcar children and thinking oh this is fun it's fun to read but not thinking like oh man i can't wait to see what happens next and i think probably when i was around eight or nine is when i was reading about mice apparently chopping off paws and making other mice eat them yes i think that when you're reading those other books it's almost like you're you're on, you're on kind of like a, you're at kind of a nice amusement park. Like, oh, I'm kind of going around and this is interesting. They're living in a, a box car and they have these little adventures and the, 
the story is from the 1940s or 50s, but the cover looks like it was painted in the 1980s, so that doesn't make sense. <laughs> and, you know, you're reading about that, but then you discover something like this, and you're completely going into a world that is just sheer madness because it's talking mice and they're fighting <laughs> and they they have like um swords that would effectively be i mean i have so many questions because effectively they would be like pins that they would be holding but i was wondering yeah. is this another universe like is this an alternate in the in the multi-dimensional multiverse that people talk about is that where this resides or is it literally like in our backyard there is a a red wall uh universe and would would the mice be our size in that other <laughs> universe or are they really like the size of a real field mouse and they're about three inches tall and their sword is a pin there's so many questions yeah, I mean, unlike Watership Down, there's not really, there's not even an allusion to the fact that humans exist, right? So I I have to stop myself from every chapter just thinking about this as like th that scene in Beetlejuice where like he keeps getting shrunk down and he's just and like, I'm just thinking that this is what's happening. Like I could stumble upon like this giant battle of hundreds of mice attacking hundreds of shrews. And it would just be like, just like tiny needles uh, hitting other needles. Um, and me being like, what should I do here? Should I intervene? Should I like sweep them back and be like, it's cool, bro, back off. I don't know. Um, but it definitely does seem like A, that's uh, kind of ridiculous to think of uh, how, how they get the swords? Apparently, the badgers make them in a in a volcano. Um, like how, they have, they make so much food, but they how where did they get the wheat for the? They have bread products that like how did they get the wheat for that? They they pick dandelion, sure they pick berries, but like they should. All I'm seeing is a hunter gatherer society. There's no like complex exchange of goods that would that would make these banquets possible. That would make like giant kegs of ale. That they somehow <laughs> how do well, they how do they these? make wouldn't the um <laughs> how would the wheat be wouldn't wouldn't the wheat be too large for their head or for their mouth right. like the grains of it maybe that's the answer like if I'm thinking of dandelion tea I'm thinking of how many dandelions I would need but like they just need the one if they have one dandelion that's probably enough for a dandelion tea. Well, how big is so a like tree? Four or five mice. Right, but maybe maybe they're living in a universe where it is at the size that would be um, in the same proportion to us. Like the grain is is a hundred times smaller. Yeah, they're walking through, like in in when Russell Crowe is. A, um, bringing his hand across the wheat in Gladiator, in like every in like every other scene in Gladiators, Russell Crowe. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing. Nothing makes you want to just make your hand sweep across wheat, like being 
a Roman general or something. Cause yeah. that, that, but I'm wondering maybe they would take their paw and the paw would sweep across and it would be the same size because they're living in a universe where it's the same size. Yeah. Relative <laughs> to us. There's, that's the kind of questions that I would have even as a kid. Yeah. And I think when I was a kid, I didn't really ask the same questions I'm asking now. Like, <laughs> all of these things seemed almost magical mm -hmm. um, like there's just a mouse whose name is purslane that's that's a cute name and i'm like oh that's the thing that i hate in my garden but it's apparently edible too so like all of the 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 ingredients that they list <clears throat> they're generally like really obscure species uh what's like a bank bowl a bank bowl does not exist in North America. It's it's exclusive to Europe and, and West Asia, you know, I, like I, and I'm looking this up now because I'm an adult. But when I was a kid, I was just like, yeah, of course it's a bank bowl. It's like a bowl that's on a bank, whatever. Um, but yeah, like what are, what are these things? Because they all exist, or at least if you use the same name, they exist in our universe. And I know what size they are because I can go on Wikipedia and check it out. But are those things the same size for them? If so... <laughs> they're <Yeah>. massive <laughs> like a dandelion is, is twice the size of a mouse like yeah how are they making dandelion tea that is the equivalent of us like going up to a maple tree and just being like i'm gonna eat that i'm gonna eat that whole tree right now right i mean <laughs> there's so many questions with this miniaturized world but um i thought yeah we can kind of go back and forth i guess about our memories um mm -hmm what i remember is when we when we met uh in high school i we were hanging out in your uh, in your bedroom and i saw that you had like a shelf mm -hmm. of red wall it was like it had it seemingly had every red wall and yeah. i remember thinking like oh this is someone i could hang out with and converse with <laughs> because uh i was like i can talk red wall all day because it's there's so many things that are both it's sort of like uh <laughs> progressive rock yes you can make fun of it but it is also awesome mm -hmm. so it is yeah, both of those sure. things it's it is both of those things um <laughs> so that was what i would say is our immediate connection about it and also we did talk about redwall i think i don't think i kept it to myself i was like hey you have mm -hmm. redwall let's talk about this yeah, this is not our first red wall discussion. Um, I think we do it about every two or three years. Yes, almost, almost to the day. Like, oh, we got we got to have a red wall conversation again because uh, the Olympics are showing. And you told me about the Mad Libs thing very early on about basically every story, and we haven't even gotten into the this these stories really, but and we will. But the Mad Libs where you'll have one character and you replace it with another character and he says the same thing and um i'll skip ahead to what i was just going through it today or i've just been listening to it and it had i was only listening to it briefly and the care and the person reading it said chapter four i was like wait a minute we're already on chapter four i've only been listening for like 15 minutes like that's what's funny about a kid stories is they have a they go really fast the story 
Yeah, and the, and these were massive books to my you know eight year old hands. They're like three to five hundred <laughs> pages. Um, they were not goosebumps books, which I mean I think that's a that's a good thing to to harp on too. Because when you said uh, you you came into my room for the first time and you saw the Redwall series there. In, in my household, and I think a lot of kids, this is true, but in my household, we didn't go easy on a series. We did a series. So I had like 55 Goosebumps books, 25, 30 Animorphs books. And there were a lot more Animorphs than that. I like two or three times that. Not to mention the Megamorphs. But like if I if I liked a thing, I was going to finish it. Um, and that was true for Redwall, for sure. So like when you saw my wall, there might have been one book missing, but... And, and it's it's worth noting that Carl and I each had our own copy, which is completely unnecessary because we have 20 of these books. Like, oh, you'll read Mossflower this week. I'll read Redwall. It's, it's easy enough to do. But for whatever reason, we as kids thought that we needed to have our own, you know, three or four dollar a piece copy of 20 different books. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. That was a that was a big thing for me is just going through that entire series Mm-hmm. And then they started making the new covers, and I was like, ah, I, now I have a mix. I got some of the old covers and some of the new covers. Well, let's talk about these covers, actually, because they're not your average cover for a book. Typically, a children's book will be just kind of a, maybe even a photo, or kind of a badly done photo with a photo mat over it, with some mat over it. Mm-hmm. This is that's not this. These are fully rendered paintings of rodents with swords and in in medieval dress. Yeah, yeah, and I, I certainly liked the. I don't know if it's the first, but certainly the older <clears throat> design, which is basically a tapestry. It's like mm-hmm. weaving. Okay, so this mouse it like creates kind of a pictograph. Like this, this mouse is facing off against this rat or whatever in, in this corner. And then it, it created almost like a um, like a stained glass. Uh, I'm saying tapestry, but like a stained glass window with all of these different vignettes painted into it. So like, here's the battle. Here's the red wall. Here's the mountain. Here's what and like all of that. That's my memory of the the earlier ones. And then after that, it just became like, let's have an otter photorealistically drawing a bow. Yeah, I don't like that as much. But the the originals had these uh iconographic images of mice and badgers and ferrets where they were uh representational and they were flat like i'm looking at right now of moss flower they were sort of flat two-dimensional as if they were invented they were (laughs) this is so silly pre-renaissance paintings where they didn't have all of the techniques of a Rembrandt and a etc. Yeah, these yeah, yeah. are medieval paintings of a mouse and the person. But then on Mossflower, there's a more f- realistic painting of a ship, and almost every red wall involves a ship. This is the Mad Lib component, yes. <laughs> where and uh, so that's what I say about the cover. Yeah, I'm thinking maybe I'm thinking of the back cover of Mossflower that had like well, that's so many the other, okay. Ideas. So another element is to, to it is that they'll have these writings like 
on the edge or on the side, just very intricate writings that take you into the world to make it seem like this is really happening. There really is a place where they have this um, ornate mouse language or something. Yeah, it draws you in, right? I think that's that's part of the magic there. Like, oh, it's just it's kind of unassuming cover. Um, and then once you open it, you see a map. You're like, oh, well, what's what's this map about? Um, which fair, fairly stereotypical now in in fantasy. But like, oh, I kind of want to be engrossed in this world. And then and then and then it slaps you right in the face in the beginning with like, oh, this world is full of rodents. Okay. Well, they have a lot of like characters that are sort of biblical in in the way they're sold but then when you kind of hear it there you're not sure is this more of an epic character or are they more down to earth type or maybe they're both I mean, he's trying to show you both sides of it um I mean, i'll say that i don't remember how i figured came to redwall probably just in the library found it but there was a book choice uh, review book in sixth grade we had to do a book review but we get to choose the book so everyone is trying to ch not everyone but people are reading pretty standard books and i am saying i want to read <laughs> the bell maker the red wall the bell maker and it's long it's it's mm -hmm. you said it's like 300 pages i don't know exactly at what. least at least so i'm reading I'm reading this going, oh, I'll be okay. And not realizing I have no time management at this age, but I'm reading <laughs> as much as I can. And I remember being in the cafeteria, having lunch, reading Bellmaker and thinking to myself, none of you are reading Bellmaker. I'm reading it. You don't understand how important this is, what I'm learning here. There's, It's about a mouse and he has to travel across what is presumably a small pond, but to him could take weeks. And mm -hmm. there's storms and waves and all of this stuff. Anyway, I probably only read a third of it by the time the Sunday before it was due came about. And I'm going, oh my. So the whole day I just read, read, read all of Bellmaker because I have to write the book review. Then I had to write the whole thing. And uh, I mean, I must have done okay, because I don't remember otherwise. But it's just a very funny memory of mine of uh, reading Bellmaker <laughs> within a few hours. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that was, but I see, I didn't read the other ones, but I think I now see it doesn't really, I mean, I read other ones later, but at the time that was my first entry, but I feel like they're all kind of the same. Yeah. I think, I think that's the, the big thing that, and you touched on that, that Mad Lib uh, quality that, that the books have, you know, I, I'm, I'm rereading Martin the Warrior now and I can tell you what what happened but if you asked me my childhood recollection even if you asked it at the time i would probably only be able to tell you the mad lib structure i would say oh yeah red wall there's a big feast um Clooney's a rat and he's attacking uh and like i think there's a bird that's involved 
and uh, they have to go somewhere. And so they get separated and then, and then they got to go retrieve something important. I don't remember what it is. They got to retrieve it and they get it back. And then somehow like along the way, one of the groups that was sent out from Redwall coming back uh, allows them to, to, to force Clooney out of, of Redwall and they win. Everybody celebrates and there's another feast. That's it. That's all I remember. And it's 400 pages. How is the only thing I remember the general structure of a Redwall book? That's all I remember of the Redwall number one, the novel. So another thing about this is that it has a lot of phonetic language of Hmm. different British and English dialects and Scottish dialects that is jarring for a young kid to try and read because um and also the character i don't this is a little bit iffy that the character different kind of ethnicities or different sections of britain match up to different animals yeah it's it's kind of racist in a way yeah um, that um moles tend to be somewhat scottish i believe um mice mice generally english right but but the weirdest thing so 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 they say generally english but what i mean is they spell the words correctly but that's probably not how they sound like nobody says to her you say the so like how am i supposed to interpret the accent of martin the warrior or any of the major mouse characters who according to what i'm reading have no accent i'm using finger quotes here um like what's what is their accent everyone has an accent so yeah i don't i don't it it seems yeah there's 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 a certain uh i think that's the only thing that that dips into like the human but there's certainly a really odd speciesism that like all carnivores or like omnivores who skew more meaty they're all bad characters every single rodent that eats meat is evil wants to kill you wants to steal your children wants to burn down your town and that's all they do and there's not much money in it it seems like all they like uh, sure they're slaves or like if they steal your stuff then i guess they have your stuff but then what do you do with it like you go to the market there's no there's no market there's like how do you take your stolen golden wares and go and actually i don't know um but yeah the it seems like every carnivore is bad every herbivore is good um and then to your point from before like we have this incredibly i gotta say if i were scottish i'd be offended like that's not how scottish people talk that's like let's take all of the like uh odd inflections that somebody who 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 speaks uh glaswegian or whatever what do they say all of the weird things just cram it into a sentence make them like forget that the subject of a sentence is i but the object is me. And <laughs> on Red Redwall, where they went on some long, long screed, like a rant. And at the end, I was just thinking to myself, "This is a badger that is saying this. This is a badger covered in armor <laughs> with a hilt or a sword, going oh. on some big rant." And you know what's even more offensive? Um, so I'm going through Martin the Warrior, and they have pygmy shrews, which is it's a legitimate species. But <clears throat> the idea of you know pygmies in human 
history is generally very offensive, right? Mm -hmm. Like either A, they didn't really exist or B, they didn't do all of the things that people put into films and radio and books, you know, claiming that they're cannibals, claiming that they're like, they can't speak right or that's the role of the pygmy shrews and Martin the warrior. Like they're, they, they speak weird. Are they wild? Are they kind of a wild (laughs) native animal yeah yeah oh like, see this is yeah. a... and like they don't understand each other They're like oh you poke a poke long time we am like oh this is really really offensive in 2022 i don't mm-hmm. know how they're getting away with this but then they're talking about shrews so like if none of them but, are people, no, that's interesting this is almost like the opposite this is the opposite of star trek where gene roddenberry said he used aliens as a means to talk about issues of civil mm-hmm. rights and so on. This is the opposite. I'm using animals as a way to put down parts of <laughs> British British culture and ethnicities that I don't like. Yeah, would, wouldn't it be interesting if a mouse said that? <laughs> yeah, that's the, that seems to be the approach. Um, yeah, this, this story would be better, but with mice. Yeah, with with mice, it's a little easier to stomach, right? Yeah. I mean, let's say there's probably, it's probably somewhere in between. He thought he was like representing everyone, but, Mm -hmm. uh, but the way you're doing it doesn't quite work because you're making, you know, I'd be much better off. I would be happier if it was like this, there were Scottish mice and there were Scottish badgers and there were good badgers and there were bad badgers to just show like being a good quote person, which is a stretch in this story, but a good being is just inside. That would be mm-hmm. the, to me, the better message to say, Hey, you could be a good mouse, a bad mouse. It's about character. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think for me, you know, my memory of this is, is as an American child. So I didn't know that like summit was a way to say something that was just, it's not a word that I would ever hear. Oh yeah. That's another thing. There's no guide. There isn't like when you start the book, you're like, welcome to your first copy of red wall. Uh, For your reading pleasure, be aware there will be different dialects represented in the text (laughs) and you will have to be aware of this this was not explained to me and that's like half the book and it's it is tough it's like it's like chewing through tough (laughs) i don't know it's it's like trying to go through the jungle like hack through the jungle it's like oh the story's going so well and then it's like yarg ye go dark and find him hey and like whoa i have to go through and it's a whole conversation it'll be mm-hmm. like three pages of dialogue in this dialect it- yeah and and they move between them too um martin the warrior has the concept of uh, so like uh, Bad Rang, the the leader of the Marshank Fort, he'll switch like his natural speech when he's talking to a fellow pirate. 
and then he has to talk to slaves, and then he has to talk to like people he respects. Wait, like, oh my God. You... There's slaves in this? I forgot about <laughs> that part. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> see, see, and that's probably the first time where I'm like, oh, this economy actually makes sense. All right, so they just they just straight up steal critters to do work for them. Now mm. I see how he built a fort. But otherwise, how does somebody like Clooney, you know, assemble an army of rats and give them armor? And like they, they're going into battle. <laughs> that armor's going to get dinged and it needs to get repaired. Like, there's a lot of stuff here that wasn't really thought through. There's a lot yeah. of logistics that go into waging war that we never really see, except for a badger and an anvil and a volcano. Like that's the answer. Like, oh, you just bring your stuff to the badger and the volcano. Um, but yeah, there's, um, there's a lot of switches that, that, that battering makes because he's talking. Now he's talking to his old friend. Now he's talking to somebody else. Now he's like, so like he changes his speech right. and Brian Jakes calls it out that he's going to change his speech now. And I'm like, you can't now. All right. This is even more confusing than if you just had some people have different accents. That's totally okay. I can be like, okay, this is the way that specific shrew talks. Gotcha. So you would like to have an even more Byzantine and bureaucratic discussion about war making between a ferret and and what otter? What are the what is an otter? Is he neutral? Uh, otters are generally good. <clears throat> They're good. Okay, we need it to should, get. Should be noted, we're talking we're talking river otters. I've always, I've always a like, river well, otter. Because if if we're talking sea otters, then like yeah we're almost to the level of this is a human coming in and could just step on all of you. Um, is he the, large? He's very large. Yeah. Even, even the river otters are pretty big. Like what's mm -hmm. a river otter, river otter size. <laughs> okay. Um, 2.2 feet. So it's still pretty big. Yeah. I mean, the idea of a mouse be leading an army against is it badgers what what are the main enemies badgers wait who, who are the main enemies so so again anything anything that's a carnivore so okay. like uh ferrets stoats rats they're all bad all right so we're going to transition i think to the setting of redwall mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah so let's talk about the setting of Redwall, the, the 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 sort of the weather and the for for let's start over. We're going to talk about the setting of Redwall now. The flora and fauna, or is it just fauna? We already been talking about the animals, so we're talking about the plants. <laughs> Talking yeah. about the size of stuff, like what is the size? What's the size of a tree in regards to one of these creatures? Because it seems like they are of human size, <laughs> but we can't. It seems, we... yeah, it, trees and mountains and hills, things like that. They definitely seem like they're portrayed that they're human sized, but then they talk about all of the things, like they're not bigger like a seagull is larger than they are you know an eagle is larger than that so like mm -hmm. all of those comparative sizes generally work but then for whatever reason 
a mouse can make a home out of a tree. And you're like, mm. what? How do you get Whoa. around the that trunk is like 40 feet wide. How are you in an oak tree? And you're just like, yeah, this is my, this is my home. This is your home. This is a city. This like your home. I think is this is a small town. It's like this, this is a bit of the CS Lewis idea where fantasy is fluid. It doesn't have to follow perfect rules. And so mm-hmm. you can both be the size of a, real field mouse and the size of a human being at the same time and i think as i got older that started to annoy me mm-hmm. <clears throat> around maybe middle school i was like i don't get it you know i'd have all these questions like that and if you if that takes you out of the world then it's not doing its job but if you're still in the world with that then it's fine yeah, and I, I feel like um, I read the foreword to A Clockwork Orange, and uh, Anthony Burgess kind of talks about this. Like he he regrets hiding behind this sort of street slang and like fantastical yeah. representation of things because he wanted to tell a real story and make it more relatable. In this sense, it's almost like Redwall does it intentionally. They want it to be fantastical so that you know we we buy into it um a little bit more like we we wouldn't we don't need to ask as many questions when they're like this the the delightful dandelion tea that miss butterspear prepared like oh cool you're just you're just putting syllables together so at this point i'm bought in like what's what's the story and i think that that is some of the magic of redwall is like they're saying things that are real things uh and you know, kind of what we we're hinting at before like these are real plants that they have uh they also exist in the human world that they're eating um but they're prepared in such a way that a human would never prepare you know that like buttercup flower ale like that's what, what is that um <laughs> but for is a it... mouse this doesn't make sense eh? it's de- they really love they love dandy dandy wine no uh what is it they love not brandy wine what no, is wine. no they love damson wine uh yeah. Dan, they love dandelion wine mm-hmm. isn't that what they drink yeah or ale i don't know ale um, they, they definitely have lots of ales and wines and they come okay. from you know different plants that yeah of course rodents eat and we generally don't right as humans so like that i think is part of the magic of it um and the same thing so same thing with the places right so they built an abbey as a human would um but not necessarily all of the features are human features or features that humans would want um in their abbey right right like a a a running wheel yeah in the corner running wheel a slide a little uh, slide sawdust piles sawdust piles to jump in (laughs) um so i would say that this is supposed to be england it's it's certainly supposed to be europe it's a version of it yeah 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 it has to be 
just based on the the species that are there and the food that they're eating, um, I think Britain makes the most sense. And of course, Brian Jakes being from there also makes sense. But yeah, I, I, I think it's England. But is it Mouse England or is it our England just on a tiny, there's this These are... very small state park or area of natural beauty, I guess it would be in England, where these talking mice are concentrated and we haven't, we haven't found them yet. Right. I mean, I'll tell you how I bridged the gap of this problem as a kid, as, as now that I remember it. It's that I said that our world exists and they exist within it as little tiny animals, but they're way off in the countryside. So maybe it's a time period where there isn't a lot of civilization. There isn't a lot of cities or cars or anything like that. So that kind of gets your first part off uh, pretty, pretty easy about how they could exist why are they talking? I don't know. Maybe it's just a representation of talking, mm-hmm. but then that doesn't quite make sense because they have suits of armor and they have mills and all of that. So I don't, let's just say you take that as given. Hey, that really is happening. These are highly intelligent animals. Yeah. And then the final piece is that these trees and things they interact with happen to also be just tiny versions of the large things we know of so a giant maple has kind of like it's a bonsai maple and there's a bonsai forest of maple it still doesn't quite make sense how they are talking and walking around as humans that's why i think the multiverse thing makes more sense that they're in another dimension yeah it could also make sense if it's um let's imagine uh, some creature doesn't have to be human, but uh, sufficiently advanced to have a science experiment where you just take a one acre chunk of a forest. I like where you're going. And you bestow upon those critters the ability mm-hmm. to speak. And then you basically hoist them up or at least their, their consciousness mm-hmm. up into a simulation. And they are in that simulation and we're watching it. <clears throat> we're trying to figure out what would happen if you gave shrews and mice and birds and everything the ability Mm -hmm. to talk to each other and wield medieval weapons (laughs) what what can that teach us about society and i think maybe if brian jakes is just an uh an incredibly uh decorated professor of neuroscience and that's why he couldn't reveal his studies because it's top secret um, okay. So he put them into these books. This is like a H.G. Wells kind of, because this is in the Dr. Moreau, Island of Dr. Moreau. I'm taking animals and creating something more. Yeah. Yeah. Of, it's a red wall zoo. And it, it's a and zoo. Isn't that what it is? Like as a reader, for sure, that's what it is. We, we get to see uh, this scene play out. Yeah. That's interesting. That That's one interpretation. I, I think of it as, kind of uber coziness is how I would describe it because it's cozy to hear about castles and abbeys and adventures and stuff and animals are also cozy Mm. they're not they make you feel good to pet a cat or a dog or another another type of animal and that's what I would say no 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 that's that's all I I have to say about that I never thought about that, but that's like, there's two uh, fantasies in one, right? So the idea behind fantasy, like it allows you to detach from reality. 
And yes, I think the best fantasy should probably have something to say about current society and the way that we interact with each other. Um, <clears throat> but one of the main uh, blessings of the genre <clears throat> is that you've already re removed that suspension of disbelief, uh, or sorry, you've removed the, the, the need to suspend that disbelief. Like, oh, it's just mice. All right, cool. I, I don't need to ask any more questions. It's just talking mice. Um, and that makes it a little more approachable for somebody because I'm not thinking about, oh yeah, but if you stabbed that human with a sword eight times, that human would be dead. You tell me in this story that the shrew is not dead. I'm like, oh, okay, maybe shrews with different internal organs. Maybe the sword isn't that big. I don't know. Um, it's a lot easier for me to, to buy into dandelion wine because um, it's not it's not anything I'm familiar with, and so I get kind of caught up in that fantasy for sure. But animals do are killed and do die in the stories. Yeah, for sure. But the threshold for that can sometimes be preposterous. Yeah, it can be Rick Grimes-esque is what I would say. Like the, oh, this is the main character, so this main character can't die, um, even though like they're surrounded by 15 enemies. And this plays out, you know, in a lot of fiction. But in the case of, in the case of Redwall, I'm not that concerned. I've never really found myself being like, mm. I mean, kind of I do when I think about like, Oh, there's a badger taking on four mice. Well, the mice would just be dead. I didn't, this isn't really a contest. Um, but aside from that, every battle, I'm like, oh, and it's going back and forth, and anything could happen right now. Um, and I, I don't find myself thinking like, oh, but like that, that army was ten times the size. There's no way they could have won. I know I want the good, the good guy to win, but in this case, the good guy totally wouldn't have won. I don't have that thought when I'm reading Redwall. Now, in the interest of having some structure, let's move on to. Uh, well, actually, let's let's finish up by looking at this map. Now, oh yeah, I I can just look at the map if you want, but it basically gives an outline. Someone has drawn this together and has said, "This is not doesn't quite match in the same way that the Simpsons house doesn't make sense if you actually tried to build it, which they mm. did in the early houses." Yeah. Or a lottery, some lottery game, and it didn't really make sense where the rooms are. If you go in this room, you go in the other room. So the wrong room, I should say. So it's it doesn't quite make sense in that way, but it does a pretty good job of laying out, for the most part, what Redwall's all about. And I would say, <laughs> how would we best describe? The, the the central piece of it to me would be the moss flower woods <laughs> yes <clears throat> it's, yeah, the it moss flower woods. yeah the moss flower it's, woods ties it all together uh moss not famous for its flowers i think but uh i'll go with it right mm -hmm. um yeah there's uh <laughs> it's a little bit like middle earth also a little bit so here's the thing it's a little bit like Middle Earth. It's a little bit like uh, Westeros, which is also a little bit like Britain. It looks looks like Britain. Yeah, it's basically there's an ocean to the west and there's an ocean to the east. It's unclear what's to the south, but probably an ocean to the north, probably an ocean. Um, and then there's a big inland lake, of course. Uh, Salamandastron over to the west. That's the volcano 
in which all armor is ever made, according to my recollection of the book. Cost um, Mordor. Yeah. <laughs> Mordor, yeah, exactly. Mordor. Not a lot of not a lot of volcanoes in in uh in Britain though. Um but anyway. no. no. <laughs> It's a combination. It's like I, uh, Britma Iceland and a little bit yeah, of Britma Germany. Iceland, yeah. and, um, let's see. I'm trying to match up some of the stuff. So it's then uh, they they go on this long voyage in the Bellmaker, mm-hmm. and <laughs> they leave from Redwall Abbey. So maybe that's the next thing we should talk about. Yeah, Redwall Abbey, <clears throat> kind of central towards the south. Um, what's interesting is there's a castle off to the south, but there aren't a lot of settlements or structures. Like, um, I guess I guess this map doesn't have um, uh, what's it called? I can't remember. Bad ranks for it. I just said it, but. Um, that is not on the map, uh, but the rest of that area is on the map, and it's worth pointing out what I pointed to you earlier. Uh, that is upside down of what is in the book. Um, that uh, what is up in this map, which is oriented north, is actually down in uh, Martin the Warrior. Mm-hmm. So there are definitely there are inconsistencies in the maps, but if you put them together. Yeah, it makes something like this, which is pretty, <clears throat> it's pretty cool that somebody went to the trouble of putting this together. It was not Brian Jakes, right? No. Uh, well, either somebody could be, it looks really professional, could be a prof- uh, publishing house thing, but I'm not sure. But I'm looking here at the at the bellmaker where he says that Joseph, the main character, recruits a hare, a hedgehog, a squirrel and a four mole to go on this mm-hmm. adventure. And I thought none of these animals should be within, you know, 500 feet of each other. Yeah. They're not. And that, the fact. They're all going to yeah. put them on the Brendan voyage. When you look at the bellmaker, it looks like they're on a leather shoe going off. They literally were in a shoe. That's the difference. Yeah. They <laughs> actually are in a leather shoe. They got it a cobbler's. And they sail on the pond. And that's the question. When we look at this uh, map, are we looking at like 20 feet or 20 miles? Oh, yeah. How big is this zoo? How Sorry, I'm going to stick with it. It is a zoo. But... Well, we have Fort Vladegurt, Trag Cave. <laughs> the Samitra looks like... Um... Some... Oh no, that's it. I was I was wrong. I was wrong. So uh, so if you look in the northeast, that is Marshank. That's what I was looking for. Marshank's there, and that is oriented the same way that it's oriented in Martin the Warrior. So it's just that the the narration was wrong. What's so, like, it called? Saying... So Marshank's up in the top right, right before right before okay. the Eastern Sea. Oh, Marshank. Yeah. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Well, in, in yeah. Bellmaker, I think he goes on the north coast to sail against the wolf fox or the fox wolf because you yeah, you've a... got to be two species. Yeah. <laughs> to or it, he's it... just a fox. I think he's just a fox. 
<laughs> He's calling him a fox wolf. <laughs> um, Marshank. Why? What is that? What is Marshank? Yeah. Uh, the fortress that's constructed by Badrang the pirate. Basically, he wanted to settle down, you know, and stop being a pirate so much. Okay. Um, and so in order to construct this fortress, mm-hmm. you know, as a pirate, he went around and, and picked up a whole bunch of slaves. Yeah. Uh, any any small group of undefended so-called good uh, critters, so mice, definitely, moles, pick them up, and then uh, make them build his fort. Oh my goodness. That wasn't nice. Also, well, how, can much can they possibly, how much he's can they carry? Guilty. A little mouse, what does he care? I mean, that's the thing, is this mouse carrying a whole block of... I'm confused as, again, we're back to the same problem. How big yeah. is the castle? How much can the mouse carry? Like a block, a brick... How big's a brick? It's... Yeah, is a pebble basically a boulder? You know, right? But like, there are actual boulders; those exist. How um, big is the? What is the house like? The is his castle the equivalent of like a small shed, or a small? It can't be for a fox. He wants to have a big castle. It'd be like I a mean, maximum size of a doghouse, right? That's probably about the size of Redwall, the Abbey. It's probably about the size of a doghouse. Much okay. <laughs> what about Castle Fleuret? I don't know. I don't. Okay, Toadland. There's one that just says Toadlands. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the Toads have their own way of speaking too, which is also yes. probably offensive if we check it out. I would want it to be something like "Welcome to the land of the Toad." Here you will learn the secret, but it's not. It's going to be like "Yag, welcome to the Toadland." Or something like that. Swamp Swamplands. I mean, this is a total... This is Swamplands with a volcano. I'm sorry, but this is Tolkien. (laughs) (laughs) Then you have the mountains and the Bat Mount Pit. Isn't that the uh, Misty Mountains? (laughs) And Mossflower and Redwall are, of course, Hobbiton. And the Shire, in my mind. Before we call it on the setting, I think it's worth noting that this kind of plays into very well the um, the video game culture of the 90s. It kind of continues today, but this sort of world building, kind of like Minecraft does now. Right. You know, you could do with Civilization or Age of Empires. A lot of those games allowed you to make your own map. And almost every time, this is what I'd be doing. I'd, I'd, try, to, I'd try to create a map it's like, oh, you got the mountains over here. And then, like, this, this is where the foxes are going to come in. They're over this side. And like, sure, they look like knights, but they're really foxes. Um, like, that, that world building is just so appealing, um, especially as a kid. Oh, I made, yeah, exactly. I made a million maps like this in, in class or in school when I was bored. And it's just, it always looks something like this. The, okay, there's an ocean. <laughs> I didn't mean to sound like Beetlejuice, but. There's an ocean. (laughs) (laughs) Let's move on. Mm -hmm. We are moving on to characters. Okay, characters. I feel like we kind of covered a lot of the characters already. We basically got animals, 
The central characters are mice. We could talk about the author quickly, too. His name is Brian Jakes. He was English. He kind of was a working class guy. He worked as a truck driver and a mailman and, or a, a milkman, rather. He did. And he was a good writer. And he wrote some interesting ideas. And I read somewhere that he thought mice kind of represented children. And that making it about mice gave children the feeling like they could be empowered. Yeah, that's that's pretty marvelous. Because I, I think that uh, it, it's back to what I was saying before. That because they're rodents, I can suspend disbelief a lot easier. Um, I don't really need to think about it. Um, but it, it's worth noting that they are... I mean, except for the pygmy shrews that were quite offensive we talked about before. They're the smallest of the speaking characters in in Redwall. And yet they're usually the main character. So you see that they have to overcome this obstacle. Um, and the obstacle isn't that different from what uh, a child might have to overcome themselves. I mean, sure, like slashing and stabbing, it's not something that they should probably be doing. Um, but like they need to go and save this other family of mice. And like, but can we actually save this family of mice? We're only nine-year-old kids. Whatever. Uh, at a certain point, that metaphor gets gets conflated. But like, I think that's that's something really interesting that both uh, eight-year-old me and a mouse that's you know a tenth of the size of a badger uh, thinks that it can overcome something. And a lot of this is like uh, in, in children's literature is off the wall, not possible. Like it's not, it's not like these mice fly. These mice don't have like super magic powers that allow them to, you know, read otter minds or something. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't have that aspect of fantasy. Um, it's all fairly real world actions. And those actions have real world consequences. Even if this is a zoo of mice and ferrets, like they're, they're fairly grounded goals that they're trying to accomplish that a nine-year-old might have, you know, they might, you know, just want to save their village. They might want to get their family together or whatever. Um, and there's, there are obstacles that are bigger than they think they can overcome, but that's the idea. That's how you grow. You, you accomplish a bigger goal than you think you can overcome. Exactly. Yeah. I think that really puts it well succinctly. I think that the mice represent, what is small, what seems that which is put upon or is told what you, uh, what cannot be done. And by showing this way of uh, teamwork, whether it's banding together with a squirrel, whatever you need to do, of course, that is the positive side where you're seeing the multitudinousness of red wall where he i think he was trying to teach about cooperation and working with people mm -hmm. who are different from you and speak different from you and and there's nothing wrong too with having a good feast yes and taking something that is basically fellowship of the ring but is maybe i mean i read fellowship of the ring when i was 15 so that's a long time to wait to get this same message of the hobbit Hobbits are basically children too. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. They they have to overcome a lot, and it 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 seems from the outset, just physically, they're not going to be able to accomplish the the goal of this book. There is a quest they must go on. Um, both Frodo and Bilbo have 
you know, this, there's no way anyone could do this. So never mind someone who's two and a half feet tall, you know, but, um, and I, I think that's true here in, in Redwall. But uh, I believe Frodo, uh, kind of the idea is that, from what I remember, of Gandalf and the crew was like, if we give this little guy the ring, no one would ever think that we would do that. Mm-hmm. No one would ever consider that we would give him the ring. So it's actually safer if we give it to him. And the same way, no one would think that a bell maker in a walnut ship, I don't know, think something <laughs> tinier, but in a tiny ship <laughs> would take on the fox wolf, uh, something so formidable, it's two species in one. I'm wondering what it would look like. I'd love to see an artist's rendering of a fox wolf. <laughs> sure it exists, and if not, we have the technology to make it for sure. Now, what we could, uh, moving on from, instead of plot like A, B, C, D, E, because we don't have a lot of time to sort of work all that out, we could give a general feeling of what these characters are doing. You know, you just said earlier a breakdown of it. Of, of a general plot so we could do that and kind of throw in like what is in a feast like, what is in a battle um because we've already kind of talked about what a plot kind of looks like and then we could throw in the general mythology which is i'll just start off right off the bat there is a place called red wall that is literally a <laughs> abbey of monk <laughs> of a uh, mouse monks yep. right they live in a walled fortress that I think was built for a, sort of a military defense, mm-hmm. like a Hammurabi's Babylon or something. It's like a shielded abbey that cannot be overcome by a fox wolf. He can't jump over it. Yep. Yeah, I, I think... Uh, what's interesting is so it's called Redwall but most of these books don't actually take place in Redwall or it's only uh, kind of tangentially a Redwall right. like a book that involves the Abbey but when he said Abbey it really made me think before like it's not there's like there's an abbot and there's like maybe one or two there's like friar a couple people but then there's like 120 other randos who are just there you know raking the gardens um so it's not it's not just an abbey in the sense that you know if if this were let's say ninth century england which might be a good comparison to draw that's a whole bunch of monks that live there a few hundred maybe a thousand monks are in the same place um, they're writing down uh, records to make sure things are safe and they're putting away valuables and they're making their food and they might have some sort of support for the surrounding community, but they are not themselves the surrounding community. They are just a whole bunch of monks in the same place. Um, so that's interesting that like it's centered around an abbey, um, but yeah. you know, the, there's this basically in every book, even if it's not Redwall itself, there's that idea of civilization that uh, you, you, whatever the main character is, needs to save that civilization almost always, maybe always, by leaving that civilization. And they have some quest they need to go on to save that civilization. 
So either the Abbey or Salamandastron, like some some place needs to be saved, some civilized, whatever place, however we, we define that, needs to be saved. And the best way for us to do it is to go into the woods. Right, or charter a small leather shoe to get in and, and go to some other coastline and talk to those people about, oh, I don't know, a feast. But but uh, the stakes are, I don't know how many of these, we didn't look it up, but let's just say there's 20 books. There could be more. We'll look it up. So of these books, they're, the stakes are not always the same. And I would say that's sort of like, three or four books that are like high stakes. And those are the ones that keep getting with these sort of epic characters. They're sort of Moses-like, um, Joan of Arc, these figures that he's drawing from. Uh, he's drawing these characters from history. And anyway, the those books that I would say, if anyone's re listening for a bibliography to, to explore Redwall, it's the original book. That's kind of high stakes. Then mm -hmm. uh, Martin the Warrior, Moss Flower. Those are the three that I come to. Maybe Salamandestron. Those kind of those fill the mythology of Redwall within that mm -hmm. era because mm -hmm. you get this idea that it's this this endless history going back in time, but through the mists of mists of Moss Flower time, mists of Redwall time. And he does a really good job of creating that. I think Moss Flower, if I did a very basic, Moss Flower, is, is that supposed to be the absolute first book? Even though it was not the first written, Redwall was the first written. Oh, do, do you mean chronologically? Yes. Well, no, because Martin the Warrior is about Martin the Warrior, right? Is that... Who, who is this maybe we need to look this up. founders of Redwall, right? We need so to look up the chronology. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think I think it would be good to put them in order, uh, like publishing order, and then in chronological order, and talk about it. It sounds like we may have to do that well, um, in a future session, but I think that's that's a it's a worthwhile thing to talk about for a few minutes. Yeah. Well, we could throw out that it says Lord Brocktree, the Legend of Luke, Martin the Warrior, Mossflower. So I was I was pretty off. But I was, it's, it is uh, beginning. Of the first, right? Yeah, it was one of the beginning. But that was me going off of my memory from a while mm -hmm. ago. The legend of, okay, Outcasts of Redwall, Mariel of Redwall, The Bellmaker, Salamandestron, Redwall, Matameo. I do remember that. The Bellmaker was a prequel. Oh, man, it just keeps going. But I think we got the general idea that Moss that that Martin the Warrior is is the guy who takes on is he the first one in history to take on the fox wolves or is he one of many that have come before yeah that's that's i think a a good thing from from Tolkien's work too that that kind of rings through in Redwall that these are all echoes of things that have happened in the past. Um, and a lot of that is just word of mouth, like legend. Oh yeah. Martin, the warrior was this one of the, all they have left is the sword. That's all that's actually left of Martin, the warrior. They don't even have, um, you know, any real writing from that time. It's just, I think the beginning of Martin, the warrior is 
you know, one of the abbots or I don't know. So one of the one of the older members of, of Redwall is like, well, have you ever heard the story of Martin the Warrior? Boom, open Martin the Warrior. All right. Um, dun, 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 Yeah. Which is a very, <laughs> a very fun, um, a very fun approach to fantasy because it could go on forever. You, you could, you could keep echoing those stories and I wouldn't really get bored because now you get to reinvent it anew with the same rules, the same feasts. Well, they could each end up at a feast, and at the feast, that person then says, or that animal says, have you heard the story of, and then you hear that story, and within that one, they're at a feast, and he says, have you heard the story of, so we're like 40 feasts in, we're never going to get back to the beginning to hear, and and at some point, some animal's going to turn to someone and go, I don't know what is happening, do you know what, where are we fighting, and who? (laughs) It's kind of like that. That's that Futurama episode where they have the box or whatever the interdimensional box that they jump into, which creates a new dimension. And each time they do that, they create a new dimension. So how are they going to get back out to their original dimension once they lose the rope that they were holding right. onto? Yeah. Right. That's exactly what you're we leapfrogging. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Twister with dimensions. Oh no. Okay. I'm, I'm now having to learn about, and I have to say at a certain point, I felt like as a reader, I don't know if I can hear any more about Moss Flower. I felt like, you know, I, I felt I had got so much of it. I was full and now I realized, but what happened then was I always wanted more. No, I wasn't going to necessarily sit and read, you know, I had moved on. But that's why our discussions were fun. Like, I always wanted to return to this world. Um, did we have, so did we want to go over the the plot line? So you said it usually starts in Redwall, not always, but usually. Then there's a guy, a, a mouse, typically, because they're the main characters, who have to go on some journey to save everyone. Yep. And it could be across a pond in a leather shoe and then they don't necessarily have any weaponry, but they have to get the weapons along the way. 20 pages in, we cut to the baddie who's a large ferret and he has like boots on his tiny little paws and he has a giant cutlass and he's talking in a crazy dialect about, and as a reader, you're going, I don't know what's happened. I'm really nervous about this. I don't know what he's saying. He's so angry at everyone and he wants, he's greedy. He wants power, money, wealth, uh, you know, fame. We don't know. It's some combination. And then eventually there's a feast before he goes on the journey. There's a feast somewhere in between. There's many feasts. And these feasts have dandelion wine and, or dandelion juice. I don't know. Yeah, and there's usually a separation at some point, right? So either, sometimes there's two that set out from different places, but usually it's a a main group goes out. They have to assemble the squad. That squad goes out, and there's some challenge that forces them to be separated. Either they're in the ship, and the ship goes down. Uh, They're they're in a fight, and like they run away, but they run away in different directions, and they can't find each other. And so now you have two stories that can go parallel to each other. And the third one of whatever back home is, so yep. it allows it allows you to create that kind of soap opera dynamic that you can jump between these different places 
and the, the reader still understands the linearity of the narrative. There's a lot of talk of how much supplies they have left. I have four loaves. I have yep. half a loaf. Um, then there's a typically a big battle, a one-on-one with the baddie, and then they've got mm-hmm. to go back to Redwall and have another yep. feast. Yep. And it's very soothing because you're watching little furry animals uh, go on an adventure. And you kind of feel like there's sort of a claustrophobic element, like we're trapped on this boat or we're hiding in a small hideout. And it makes you feel kind of scared but cozy because you're not actually hiding out. Yeah, and you don't you don't know how it's going to end. You know that good is going to triumph over evil, but like some some mice, some some goodies might die along the way. Some baddies will die along the way, and and maybe you know half of Redwall burns to the ground. I don't know. There's it's it's oh, not it gets like, real. It gets real. Everything is perfect. Um, but yeah, you, you you come back to to whatever civilization you left. Someone will someone will get run through with, by an otter. No, by a by an ox wolf or by a wolfhound. <laughs> someone will have a cutlass go through, and they go, "Whoa!" I mean, like I said, I remember reading this in the cafeteria, going, "This is crazy! I can't believe this is I'm allowed to read this." Yeah, yeah. It's um, someone someone once said this to me, and I feel like a bunch of people have said it about uh, the difference between European and American television. That American television has this this weird aversion to sex, which mm. pretty much everyone does or at least wants. And then there's like violence on the other hand, which pretty much no one wants to happen to them. No one wants to be shot. No one wants to be stabbed. <laughs> And we just show it all the time to children that we're like, yeah. yep. And and this, okay, here it is. No um, moral fuck. Well, but to be fair, do you want to read about foxes mating? I mean, <laughs> there's literally a movie, called, uh, there's literally a Redwall book called Moral Fox. Yes. Have you Which read it? A, it's a rock, right? Moral isn't like a calcium. <laughs> now I, the, the next thing will I be not know. some other time. I'll, I'll just be quizzing you on Red, Walks, red, red Box. <laughs> Go get your free Red, red Wall. Um, yeah. I mean, there's no way we could cover... Theoretically, we could go book by book. That would be a different thing. This is an introduction to Redwall. You could go... I don't know if I have it in me to read many (laughs) Redwall. Yeah, 22 is too much, I think. Yeah. I think one book, though. You know, we could do one book. Like, you read... Maybe I could do Martin. I'm starting with the first one. I have to say, it goes quick. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's it. And if, you, if you've done Redwall, I've done Martin. So <clears throat> I think uh, we can we can reconvene when I've finished Martin and you've finished a book. Yeah, and that'll be the put next. A, put a punctuation mark on this. Yeah, I think we will have we have filled in the red wall. I think that's about about it for now. Okay, thank you, Zeb. Yeah, this is great. Yeah, this um, was fun. Let's, let's do it again. Uh, I think. I think we've done more than scratch the surface, but I think if we if we come back and do one more one more red wall session, I think we've got some really good content here. Some really <laughs> random things that just bubbled to the surface. I didn't even think about since I was a kid.
Thank you, Zeb, for joining me in this discussion of Redwall. And thank you for listening to Letters and Legends. This podcast is produced by me, Trevor Malouf, copyright 2022. Tune in for more soon. Goodbye.